one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The boyhood dream has come true. All of you spoke to me. You're about to find out how ugly mankind can really be. Myself and the click are going to dance all over your face. Talk about your psalms. Talk about John 316. Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass. Welcome, everyone, to the Cultaholic Classic Raw Review. Back once again with the Renegade Master, D4 Damager. Power to the people. We are here via our Ica Pro Power DeLorean investing uh, and regressing to 1996 in the world of the World Wrestling Federation's flagship Monday Night Programmette. And who be we? I be Fake Geordie, radio presenter without portfolio, Tom Campbell, joined once again by the mulligan to my O'Hare, the Clive Fuck of professional wrestling retro reviews, the one and only Jackie Orlando. Jack Atkins, Jackie Orlando, how you doing? Happy New Year, Jackie Orlando! Hello, hello, hello. Sick bars there. Were you Wolfie D or is it JC Ice? Whichever fucker. A little bit of both, I think. A bit of both. (laughs) I was. Uh, <laughs> I, we're coming at you live and in colour. Don't diss the man, or we will bum rush your mother. Uh, I, no one needs that in their lives, though. <laughs> Not this early into the year. At least you remembered the word rush there, Tom. Otherwise, oh. that would have been a lot different. Oh, we would have been back in prison. Now, the thing is, uh, you're hearing this on Monday, the 15th of January. You didn't hear this, but I wished Jack Atkins a happy new year at the start, which is illegal now because we are so deep into January. There's no point, but... As it was the first time that I'd seen you, it felt appropriate to wish you a happy new year. Mm. I won't anymore. I have Thanks. Another, <laughs> I, have another, I have another question, though. I, uh... right? Another question uh, of great importance. So your good lady, without giving too much of the game away, is in the midwifery game. Mm. Right? So I was speaking to my taxi driver. Well, not mine. He's everybody's. <clears throat> he just happened to be mine this morning. Um, but he was telling me that his goddaughter is doing midwifery and that she has to have, she has to be part of 40 births mm-hmm. before she passes the the bar to be a midwife. Uh, which, yeah. So my question to the taxi driver, and he couldn't give me an answer, so I will put this to you. You may want to ask Sean this, right? If you are, if you deliver triplets... Does that count as one of your deliveries or three? It would count as three, but you wouldn't be allowed to do that as a student because that would have 
be a doctor-led delivery because it requires surgery. Ah. He's, he's, oh, he's on top of the game. Let's go. He's done it. So would it be the same with twins? Uh, potentially, yes, because it is a more high-risk birth. The student would still be in the room to know how it goes, but it's it's more of a case of, I know there's, they call them your catchers, 40 catchers. You catch the, ba- you catch the baby as it flies out. Um, but there could be like uh, a situation where you've passed all your exams. You're just waiting to get those last ones. And basically, if you're in that position, say if you've got like nine left to go, they'll bring you in on a shift and they'll be like, sit there. Anytime anyone's given birth, you're in. And they'll just like run them from room to room just to catch it. Cut. There you go. Catch. Cut. Wow. So, yeah. The speed of it. That's amazing. I love that. Well, that that's it's a tough, so, it's a tough job. <laughs> it is because you know I'm clumsy at the best of times. I couldn't handle the stress of being a catcher of a baby. Oh no, Sean's clumsy as shit when she's not in a hospital. <laughs> it's fucking ridiculous. Uh, yeah, uh, she's she's the right woman. And here we are, right? You and I, Jack Atkins, <laughs> catching the baby that is twenty twenty four. The new year is born. Yeah, twenty twenty three is dead. <laughs> it died. Buried it, and a new baby is here for us to 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 raise together uh, as we guide ourselves and you listening in your ears or watching with your eyes through Monday Night Raw's earlier years. And we're nearly done with 1996. The final flurry of December uh, is is on the horizon, and it does feel like a million years since we've done this. But I think I've I think the order now is I'll tell you some of the things happening in the boring real world before we get into anything else. <laughs> yes, yes, that is. Yeah, that is. Thank that, you for the reassurance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just watched you. I was watching you in awe there. I was like, I could see the cogs turn. I was like, he's fantastic. He could just keep this spinning. I would have just stopped. <laughs> Thanks, mate. I'm worried because like in, in about two weeks' time, the, uh, the, the cogs gain a little bit more rust because it's my birthday coming mm. up. And, uh, and, and I turned 40 in a few mm. weeks time which I just it just makes me and, and I know that there's there's older and I know there's younger but oh it makes me feel weird turning 40 <laughs> yeah we've um, one of my mates is turning well, a few of my mates are turning 40 this year but one of them in particular we've been telling him he's the wrong age for years so <laughs> this year we were just like can't believe you didn't do anything big for your 40th last year and he was like what I was like <laughs> so <laughs> So uh, we're going to Berlin in May, and um, I, I just put in the group chat this morning. I was like, "You only turned the big four one once, big man." And he's like, "No, stop that, stop that now." I I love I like that a lot. He's he, I'm hoping someone tells me that they've lied about my age. That would be great, but they haven't. So here we go. Right, let's go back to 1996. Simpler times, Jack Atkins. Stop, stop laughing at me. It's been ages. <coughs> um, so let's go back to 1996, <laughs> December the 9th. Number one movie in the UK is Jingle All The Way. Oh, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's weird to be still talking about Christmas, but we kind of are. Yeah, and it's 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 wrestling adjacent because, of course, everyone's favourite flip-flopper Paul White, he, he's there as a, as a big, big man. 
He does indeed. Uh, he stars as Giant Santa, who brawls with Arnie in this film, uh, alongside, of course, Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, as mm. the, the deadbeat dad on the hunt for his son's favourite toy just days before Christmas. Uh, he also stars along Sinbad, who plays Arnie's adversary, Myron. Uh, Phil Hartman, who plays Arnie's neighbour. A brilliant bit of casting with Phil Hartman. Yeah. Put the cookie down! Uh, Jim Belushi plays a mall Santa in it as well. Now, funny enough, Arnie wasn't meant to be in this film, Jack Atkins. Who was meant to be the lead? I can't tell you because I don't know. But what <laughs> I do know, <laughs> what I do know is that Arnie was signed on to do a remake of Planet of the Apes. That was shoot that was meant to shoot at the same time as Jingle All the Way. So he initially turned it down. Uh, but then the Planet of the Apes remake kept getting delayed and delayed and delayed. Uh, and as it happened, the stars aligned and the Jingle All the Way production was sort of in the right frame of time where Arnie was free. So he ended up doing that anyway. I mean, I, I would have hoped that Arnie would have been an ape rather than a human. Because get just to get hands off me, you damn dirty ape. I'd, I prefer if he was like General Ursus, the gorilla leader. like, the only good human is a dead human. It's just riding a horse. <laughs> Starring Arnold Schwarzenegger as Dr. Sayers. Oh, imagine that. Uh, Sinbad wasn't meant to be in it either. It was Jimmy Corkill. Sadly, no. <laughs> Sadly, it was not another Brookside character. <laughs> that would have been. It was the other Sinbad. Who thought it? Um, the original casting called for Joe Pesci. Oh, okay. To play yeah, yeah. Myron. Um, and ultimately, they moved away from Pesci because Sinbad was a better hype match for Arnie. Yeah, yeah. That that's been- that's definitely a thing. <laughs> now, I promise you this isn't just the Cultaholic Classic Jingle All The Way review, but I've just got quite a bit of gump about it here. Uh, now, the screenwriter, Randy Cornfield, in, was inspired to make the film because he saw his in-laws going to a toy store to try and track down a, a sought-after Power Ranger toy and all the fun and frivolity that comes from that year that Power Rangers was the big toy. And he said, ah, this could be a great film, all about commercialism at Christmas. However, it would be a few years later that Murray Hill Publishing would sue 20th Century Fox, claiming the idea for the film was stolen from a screenplay they had purchased from high school teacher Brian Webster entitled, Could This Be Christmas? They said, according to Wikipedia, that the script had 36 similarities with Jingle All the Way. It included the plot, it included some of the dialogue, and even some of the character names. Uh, Murray Hill President Bob Laurel bought the script in 93, sent it to Fox, said, here's a good idea for a film. Fox responded with nothing, and then went, oh, unrelated, here's a film called Jingle All the Way. (laughs) Now... Fox was found guilty of stealing and they ended up having to pay $19 million. That's $15 million in damages and $4 million in legal costs. However, Webster, Laurel Webster was set to receive a portion of this money, but he died a few months after the verdict oh. and never got a penny of it on appeal. The damages figure was lowered to just $1.5 million before the verdict itself was ended up ultimately being quashed in 04 uh, because a judge decided that the idea itself wasn't stolen. Fox had bought Cornfield's screenplay before he or anybody else at Fox had read Could This Be Christmas? So it was just a case of mere coincidence as opposed to James Somerton-esque plagiarism. And... uh... (laughs) 
I can't believe the the other could this be Christmas script actually had a character in it called Arnold Schwarzenegger. Who the thunker? <laughs> There's one line where he goes, "Put the biscuit on the ground, and it's fine." <laughs> and it called for giant haystacks as opposed to Paul White. Now, the movie uh, holds an approval rating of 20% on Rotten Tomatoes. The BBC's Neil Smith criticised the film's script, saying its focus on commercialism at Christmas was negative, and also said Schwarzenegger's performance had the comic timing of a dead moose. So not many people liked it, but it's one of those films that genuinely is part of Christmas, as far as I'm concerned. We watch it every year. It's it's one of those that if, if you see it as a kid... It's- matter like i was amazed when i grew up to find out that two of my childhood favorites Ghostbusters 2 and hook were both just like not liked films but for our generation we love them because we grew up with them we did but they yeah. were just they were it was not a beloved in that time period very very strange it's the same as how hocus pocus was very dismissed first time round. yeah it's it's oh go on because only because it wasn't released at halloween it was it was moved to earlier i think it was moved to the summer of the yeah. year that it was due out in favor of disney pushing the nightmare before christmas so hocus pocus really didn't do that well on its first run but it remains as part of halloween law now it's it's like uh myself as well i'm a i'm a, I'm a star wars boy but only the original three films and i you'll remember as well when the prequels came out we were all like these are shit. <laughs> and then the sequels came out, and now you've got this whole generation who grew up with the prequels saying, the sequels are shit, the prequels are where it's at, whereas me, who's the younger end of the old guard, are just like, you're all talking absolute blank. <laughs> Nostalgia ain't what it used to be, mate. Yeah. It ain't what it used to be. Mm. Uh, our number one movie in the US this week is 101 Dalmatians. It's the live action mm. remake. We talked about it last week uh, with lovely Glenn Close. Uh, number one song in the UK <laughs> is Peter Andre's I Feel You. <laughs> St- still, Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah, he's doing all right. God love him. Uh, and yeah. number one song in the US is a new one from Tony Braxton. It's Unbreak My Heart. Oh, say you love me again. <laughs> what an absolute... Oh, right the- oh, I'm going to have to have a lie down after this and listen to Tony Braxton and have some kind of, you know, moment in the hall. Oh, we saw we saw Clive Fuck there on the, on the Patreon put his hand next to his heart remembering how special this moment was I put my hand next to my heart because I got palpitations uh, <laughs> uh, writer of the song Diane Warren said ER Tony this is a song about about the ultimate of heartbreak and Tony Braxton went no I don't want it sick of singing about heartbreak she didn't want it she actually rejected the song at first and she got cajoled eventually by Diane Warren to at least sing it and, and lo and behold it became her most iconic song yeah, I, I don't think I could. It'd take minutes and name me a different Tony Braxton hit. Uh, the the dance remix of Unbreak My Heart. <laughs> yes, yes, of course. <laughs> the only other one. Hey, this is cool. Uh, the weekend, <laughs> uh, a few days before Monday Night Raw this week, the Adam and Joe show debuted on Channel 4. Oh, oh, here we go. Yeah! There was nothing quite like Adam Buxton and Joe Cornish dicking about on Channel 4. It's, it's one of those that uh, when... My friend, my friends and I, when we were in our teenage years, we were just saying we hated the fact that the industry had moved on so much. Obviously, you know, they, they, they come from good backgrounds, went to good schools, etc. But the fact that, like, in the 90s, you could go to Channel 4 and say, hey, how about we have this show where we dick around with Star Wars toys and we occasionally film things in shops and we pretend we're in a bedroom. And they're like, yeah, I have four series. Whereas <laughs> now, that would never get made. 
I, th- I, th- I mean, the nice thing is nowadays, if you wanted to make it, you could just make it and upload it somewhere. True. Yeah, it was like a precursor to YouTube in a way. They were, in a very weird way. They were very ahead of their time with Adam Buxton and Joe Cornish. Of course, Joe Cornish has gone on to be uh, a big old film boy in yeah. in the States. Adam Buxton is... I, I, I still think Adam Buxton's podcast is one of the best podcasts out there. There was such a warmth about his podcast where he just interviewed his mates and just recorded intros and outros whilst walking his dog. Like, yeah. <laughs> just really, just really wholesome, warm listening was Adam Buxton. Yeah, I, I I used to like the uh, the Six Music Show, Adam and Joe as well. Um, oh yes, Stephen and all that stuff. Oh, brilliant! Um, and I was gutted when that ended because obviously, like you said, Joe Cornish became a bit of a, a mover in Hollywood. So they were just like, oh, that's the end of this now. Well, like he, you said, he, th- he did a bit on Six on his own. He did Adam Buxton's big mixtape, yeah. which was a, and- a real showcase of his audio production skills, which which I personally got a big kick out of. Yeah. All the silly little garage band songs and all that stuff. Yeah. yeah. He's a boy. He's a boy. Imagine giving Kenny Everett garage band. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, I saw Kenny Everett on something the other day, and you'll be happy to know now. Whenever I see comedy and radio legend Kenny Everett, the first thing I think of is one of Tom's biggest influences there. Oh, <laughs> yes, mate. Oh, he so is. I love him. There's no art. Oh, the, he did a, he did stuff on radio where he would he would make these silly mixes and and these these elaborate intros into songs and he'd do it on reel to reel and just chopping physical tape and recording over his own voice and oh the give that man Adobe Audition my God he'd have taken over the world <laughs> so good uh, hey the Thursday after this raw airs. Michael Barrymore back on our tellies with Strike It Rich, the rehash oh. of Strike It Lucky. It's 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 a pity what happened for all involved because I was a big fan of Michael Barrymore, but it's for the best that his career never really properly came. He's a big TikTok star now. So I've heard, which is odd. <laughs> like most things with TikTok, they, I just see them and just think, oh, yeah, oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> it's variable. Uh, so that is <laughs> that is the boring real world, but the wrestling world, far more enticing as we're heading into Christmas. And this is where we throw uh, to Jack Atkins, who, like a midwife, will catch us and he will feed us from his teat the wrestling news courtesy of the Wrestling Observer for this week. Let me tell you something, brother. Let me tell you something, uh, brother Jack. Before we even go into this, I've got two pages of notes worth of shite (laughs) out of the Observer. Yes! It was a chunky week, and some of this is hindsight chunky, which is my favourite brand of soup. Uh, (laughs) Is hindsight like a rip-off version of heights? Whatever you want it to be, Tom Campbell. <laughs> Tom Campbell's chunky soup. That's what it can be. I'll take that. Yeah. Uh, so this is the Wrestle Observer newsletter dated December the 16th, 1996. And some of these stories, like I said, um, at the time didn't mean anything. But as 97 would come on, you'd be like, ooh. And from a 2024 lens, we're like, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> That's uh, exactly the noise that you'll make. The exact noise. Right. You at home... You're listening to this. You're watching on Patreon. If you didn't make that noise, I will find you. <laughs> he will, and I will, I will, I will cry <laughs> outside <laughs> your house. 
through a megaphone until one of us is arrested. <laughs> so anyway, Wrestle Observer newsletter. I've, We're off I've to a this flying one. start yeah. this oh. year. Bollocks to you. Right, so... <laughs> We are heading towards the Royal Rumble, Tom. I didn't know if you were aware of this. Oh, this be- <laughs> I'm ready for rumbling. So, WWF bit. As we know, we're going to the, the Alamo Dome, 71,000 plus seats in the Alamo Dome. And we know that the, uh, the WWF are working with AAA. So, according to Dave, they've decided to, in his words, put together basically two shows in one. The idea is to make the event a joint show, having a complete AAA loaded up house show take place, along with the WWF Royal Rumble and other grudge matches, with some, if not most, of the AAA matches not airing on the actual pay-per-view. Um, so at the time, whether this pans out, we'll, we'll have to wait and see, but at least four traditional Mexican-style six-man and four-man tag matches were scheduled for the card, with the names not yet totally finalised the week of the 16th of December. New AAA edition Hector Garza, who apparently jumped from CMLL the past week, will almost surely be one of the names on the card, as will El Hio del Santo and top AAA draws that didn't leave the group and are now working for W and rival Promo Azteca. As we know, past few months there's been a bit of a fallout. Uh, Octagon, Paraguayo, some of these they're hoping will appear. Ooh, lovely little burp there. Wonderful. Uh, the current plan is for four AAA wrestlers, Mil Mascaras, Cybernetico, Pierrot Jr. and Latin Lover to appear in the Rumble itself. Uh, and we'd said that they're doing a real push for this in San Antonio, trying to build on the popularity of, obviously, Mil Mascaras and um, Jose Lothario in the 70s. And Dave said, whether it'll work in 1996, we'll wait and see. Um, and at press time, nearly six weeks away from the event, 8,935 tickets have been sold for the event for 153 grand. With that many tickets sold so far in advance, there's a good chance it will be the most tickets sold for a WWF American house show in several years. However, by pushing the 71,000 figure so hard on television, in some people's eyes, it may set up a situation where a crowd of, say, 20 to 30,000, which would have to be considered a phenomenal figure for pro wrestling in this day and age, would be viewed by many as a disappointment. A bit like All In last year. It's like wrestling goes in cycles, kids. It just goes in cycles. Um, so, yeah, it, it, to, to cut through the Dave, Dave ease there, Triple A house show leading right into uh, the Royal Rumble to try and get that uh, Hispanic crowd, to get the Lucha Libre crowd, to get the crossover fans and the WWF fans all in one roof. So, be we'll interesting to see if, if that's going to pan out, how that will work out for WWF and for AAA because they're very different types of wrestling fans watching very yeah. different types of wrestling and the I, I, I you know the idea that WWF are leveraging AAA for additional numbers to come to this to the biggest show they're a very a, a very um uh a, a very big show they're putting on one of the biggest shows they put on in years coming off the back of what's been a real quiet period for the WWF uh, yeah. It's certainly uh, keen to do a number like that. I'm intrigued to see how this pans out. Obviously, we know how Rumble 97 goes. I don't have any recollection of there being any more than a few people in the Rumble. I don't remember there being a house show beforehand, but let's follow the road and see where it takes us. Yeah, all those four names said there for the Rumble. Obviously, we know infamously Mil Mascaras will be in there. And mm. uh, I remember the Latin Lover will definitely be in there. I but, seem to yeah, remember well, Cibernetico. I seem to remember yeah. him being in there as well from my numerous times watching Rumble 97. Numerous times. Is it, is it a Campbell favourite? It, it is a Campbell favourite. I have it on VHS. 
Yes, he does. Because I'm of a certain period. I'm of a certain age. And uh, and there's, it's, it's in my tape library. It's a good one. In the vault. The, the air-conditioned vault. In the air-conditioned uh... Campbell vault. <laughs> so we go from WWF. A rare bit of UFC news for you here, Tom. So the bulk of this issue, we just had the 1996 Ultimate Ultimate UFC tournament. This is old school UFC. We had fight multiple times in a night rather than like once every six months. And you were just probably a horrible bastard with a big mustache. So 1996 Ultimate Ultimate, Ken Shamrock was the heavy favorite to win. Uh, After his first round win over Brian Johnston, he pulled out due to injury. And according to this, he might not be uh, ready to fight again until May 1997. So it's the last time we'll see him in an octagon in 1996. I wonder what will happen to him in 1997. I wonder what will happen. Yeah, Mm. Ken Shamrock certainly. I mean, we at this point, there has been some mutterings, I'm pretty sure, of Ken Shamrock maybe exploring other avenues. Yeah, Uh, that may be something that pans out in front of our very eyes sooner rather than later. Hmm. So we go from UFC to the totally wild world of WCW. We're, we're, we're hitting everyone this week, by the way. Like I said, with oh, fuck me. So we're going w, WCW. So uh, Rey Mysterio Jr., Sikosis and Juventus Guerrero have all signed contracts with WCW. Super Carlo, La Parker and Viano for Halloween and Damien have all signed a letter of intent to sign. Eric Bischoff apparently made a big play to get everyone signed immediately once he realised WWF and AAA were in bed together since most of the aforementioned wrestlers uh, had contracts with AAA already. So he's just gone, nah, fuck that, come to WCW, I'm not having you appearing in the Rumble. So uh, I made up for you and Sam because... Obviously, the cruiserweight division in WCW is vaunted, but 97, 98, going to early 99, Jesus Christ. Yeah, there's some good stuff coming. Super Calo, we've seen about starting his WCW journey, uh, it, mm. pre- it being uh, very suddenly stopped due to injury, but mm. he'll bounce back from that. Obviously, Rey Mysterio in the mix, Hubertu Guerrero's in the mix on the classic Nitro review, which is back uh, by now as well. Uh, so there's some great names here, and I, and I love how how petty the WCW back end is because they're like, well, WWF are doing a show with AAA. Let's sign up all the Mexican wrestlers. Yeah. It's, it's again, time's a flat circle. Wrestling is cyclical. Uh, in the news this past week, obviously, with Andrade El Idolo leaving AEW, expected to land back in WWE. And apparently the rumours are saying that Tony Khan's gone, all right, then, see you later. We're going to take your money and a bit more. I'll go to Mercedes Monet, so fuck off. So- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> that was exactly what Tony Khan said, word for word. Exactly. Talking about, talking about top businessmen telling people to fuck off. December 96, Hulk Hogan is now on the road selling Thunder Mixes, which are, in Dave's words, really cheap blenders. While on the road... (laughs) While on the road, he still does his three demandments gimmick. He says he hasn't changed, but wears NWO gimmicks and explains his deal by saying he got tired of all the politics in the big pro wrestling organisations and decides to form his own company. Oh, Hogan. So he's... So hang on, I never heard of Thunder Mixes. I th- I've heard of it in passing because obviously Hogan likes to say, however true or untrue this isn't, that he was offered first refusal on the George Foreman grill and said no. And I have heard of him having like some kind of like protein shake mixer thing. So apparently it's the Hogan Thunder Mixer. I love that. I wonder if you can still get them. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I need to see whether you can still get a Hulk. Because like, 
I, I, it makes it's it's in on it, on brand for Hogan to to sell hmm. some shite like this. Like I'm gobsmacked he turned down the grill. If he did indeed turn down the grill, if he you got to remember this is Hogan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, here it is, the Hulk Hogan Thunder Mixer. And it says everything you need to know about the item. The top search on Google takes you to wrestlecrap.com. Yay. Uh, and yeah, it is it looks like the it looks like a a Wilco own brand mixer, but mm. with a nice box. And Hulk Hogan showing his pythons on the front. <laughs> now you can mix up your favorite recipes anywhere and anytime in just seconds. It's so easy. Just add ingredients, <laughs> blend, <laughs> drink. <laughs> Cheers, Hulk. Thanks for that, Hogan. I was going to put my master in it and then, you know. <laughs> I was going to put my knob in it. Ah. No. <laughs> don't put your knob in a mixer. If, uh, if, no. if you take one bit of advice on this podcast. So I've, I've pulled at the back of the Thunder Mixer box. The secret is the cyclone action. The Hulk Hogan Thunder Mixer rotates an incredible 12,000 RPMs, creating a powerful cyclone effect that actually aerates the liquid and dissolves ingredients in... He's just describing a fucking blender. It's just... Yeah. it's just, Hey, this amazing thing, it doesn't what a blender does. It blends. Here's how it works. <laughs> liquid <laughs> continuously move around and up the side of the cup. When they reach the top, they fold over and are pulled down into the powerful mixing whisk. It sounds like a punishment for the water. <laughs> it gets to the top and is folded and pulled back down. Oh my fucking god! Right, it has. It doesn't have a ceiling lid for the uh, for the thing, Jack Atkins. No, no, no. It has a no. super ceiling lid. Course, course, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which oh, there's a description for what it does. Seals in liquids when mixing or transporting. Fantastic. I thought when you said ceiling lid, it was a lid for your house, otherwise known as a ceiling or roof. <laughs> I mean, the one thing that is accurate is it is portable because it require, it, it needs two AA batteries, not included in big capital letters on the back. Oh, I want to I be able to blend my drinks in the style of Hulk Hogan everywhere I go. But sadly, all the websites I'm looking at are out of stock. Oh, I'm going right. to very quickly check eBay and then we'll move on <laughs> to our next. Oh, there is a vintage retro. Oh, mate. How much? Have a guess. Is it in the box? Yeah, it's boxed. It looks new. £65. Less. Oh, God. 30 quid. £23.52. <laughs> Oh shit! Oh, mate, I might just buy it. Oh, don't buy it, Tom. Oh, I got. You've got oh, a wedding. You've got a wedding this year. You've got a wedding this That's, year. We could take it to the wedding. Make cocktails with it. It could be your best man. <laughs> My best man is a whole Hogan Thunder mixer. Oh, but it's twenty-seven pound postage. Are you shitting me? Where's it being delivered from? The moon. Venice Beach, California. I think you find. Bro- <laughs> There's one on here, slightly used for seventeen quid. Slightly used, it's got a bit of someone's knob in it. <laughs> I feel like I'm just going to get one. One day, you'll just watch a news video and there'll just be one on the table. Oh, God, Jesus Christ. Oh, right. Sorry, got Talk- sidetracked. <laughs> <laughs> Talking of news on the table, they're going to add a lot of 
guys to the NWO so they have enough wrestlers to fill a one-hour show without putting Hall and Nash in the ring for 20 minutes every week. The downside is, according to Dave, that it makes the NWO less exclusive as the cool organisation when they start letting guys like Michael Wall Street in. It's true! It looks shit mm. when they get more people in. So we go from WCW, a quick All Japan one. So in this week, the Holy Demon Army, which is still the coolest, coolest tag name of all time, Akira Tawe and Toshiaka Kawada. They won the World Tag League over Mitsuhara, Misawa and Jun Akiyama in the finals. Dave hasn't seen the match at the time of writing, but it does go down as a five-star match. Uh, the reason I included this is because I like a bit of 90s All Japan. It's fantastic. It's right up my street. Uh, watched the match. And in the write-up, he said he'd heard that Kawada's match-winning powerbomb Misawa was said to have been so stiff, it was shocking. Uh, I checked it out. It wasn't too bad. But, you know, that's not too bad by All Japan standards. It was still probably quite meaty. You said Dave gave it five stars despite not seeing it. No, he, he, he'd... Given like a write up saying I've heard it's good, and then when he does eventually watch it, right? He'll give it five I thought stars. he just yeah, guessed yeah. it was five stars. Again, we're coming off the week after uh, Wrestle Kingdom and uh, reading some of those match uh, ratings. I was like, oh, he's been very generous there. I was like, oh, hang on, Tokyo Dome, the Tokyo Dome yeah, tax. Yeah, it's the Tokyo Dome tax. You had a little bit on top. Mm. Talking of a little on top, we go to ECW for. There's, there's a, it's a meaty ECW uh, issue here. We've got a couple here. So Raven is once again ECW World Heavyweight Champion after defeating the Sandman at the ECW Arena on December 7th. The bloody barbed wire match, described as bloody as hell and very good. That's bloody as hell, not just bloody hell, that's very good. In true ECW fashion, ended when Raven was supposed to pile drive Sandman through a table, but the table broke prematurely, which had happened several times on the show previously and helped ruin Sabu versus Perry Saturn. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, also, though, it, December 7th, it seemed to be quite an eventful ECW show because John Rickner debuted under the ring name Balls Mahoney, beating Devastorm in 4 minutes 45. Devon Storm quit the promotion that weekend and will be going back to work in the indie groups over unhappiness about not getting a push. The bit here which surprised me is Boris Mahoney got a good crowd reaction. That doesn't surprise me because people love him. Because of the name and did something of a comical gay type of act, apparently, according to Dave. Although Paul Heyman told him not to do a specific gay act. Um... Because when you think of Balls Mahoney, you think of, ooh, that man looks like he smells. He could swing a chair rather than just like a kind of... Yeah, like a stereotype. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. But, true, like, I love ECW. The ECW documentary that we put out on YouTube over the Christmas New Year period, fantastic work as always. Um, I know that was a pet project of Justin because Justin is a big ECW boy. Our friend Justin off of America. Um but the ECW fans, they get painted as, oh, these all-knowing tape traders who are so passionate about the business. But at this, they were made up to see Balls Mahoney because they got to champ balls. Yet, all Japan suplex machine, Gary Albright wrestled the match after, and the crickets in the building as he was German suplexing people onto the head. So the myth of them being these all-knowing, really, you know, highbrow wrestling fans, I think's been tweaked a little bit. They just like shouting balls in a public place. Yes, they do. Mm-hmm. Sounds about right. Talk, talking of balls in a public place, Shane Douglas has so much heat, they don't want him fighting over the guardrail for fear of what might happen. December 7th, Douglas and Francine versus Tommy Dreamer and Bueller. Shane Douglas round up outside the ring. A fan got on Douglas's face and started mouthing off. David heard several versions, but report from someone right there said the fan threw the first punch. 
Uh, and Douglas started just punching him repeatedly and attacking him. Brackets, this wasn't an angle. Tommy Dreamer, who the more you see and hear about these situations, is really the unsung hero in this company, since he has calmed down a lot of situations that threaten to get very ugly, managed to pull Douglas away from the problem and tried to get the crowd back in the match. Shane Douglas at this point was furious and broke away. And according to one report, he went back after the fan and either grabbed the wrong fan and threw him down and started battering him until the Dreamer pulled him away. Or uh, the second fan clocked him with a bottle. Uh, both Douglas and Franti woke up legitimately injured as Dreamer went for a chair shot to the knee, but instead they had a timing problem and he smashed Shane Douglas in the ankle after he'd battered two fellas. And uh, yeah, Franti appeared to suffer some sort of a leg injury, possibly a torn hamstring. So uh, this, ECW in 1996, yeah, it's just... Yeah, it's pretty standard ECW. I mean, with, it, there's, there's, there's always that of the argument about getting heat in wrestling. And obviously, mm. you know, as a bad guy, you want people to dislike you. When it comes becomes life-threatening, maybe maybe there's a... Maybe I'm a snowflake. I don't know. But maybe, you know, if your life's being threatened, maybe you pair it back a touch. Yeah, maybe. Say that though, all, all the ECW lads were disciples of Terry Funk, who I'm sure once got stabbed. Uh, so. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. But we've we've got some movement in and out of ECW expected over the next few weeks. So on the incoming, Lance Storm is expected to be joining ECW in 1996, well, going into 97. And the gladiator from FMW, aka Mike Awesome, has said he wants to go to ECW in February. On the way out... WCW have talked with Louis Spicoli, but at this point he hasn't made a move. So we'll wait and see. So Louis's not long back in ECW because he had a rad, no. he had his run as Rad Radford in the WWF yeah, and yeah. Uh, been you know been making it mark in, in ECW. We'll keep an eye on Spicoli. Yeah, we will. Um, this one's actually sort of linked. We go to All Japan Women. So. This is one just for my own personal. Uh-huh. So All Japan Women held its year-end spectacular on December the 8th at Tokyo Sumo Hall, drawing a, a legitimate sellout of 10,500 to see Kyoko Inoue capture the WWWA title for the first time. She pinned Manami Toyota in 24 minutes 52. The reason that I've included this, because reading up, these are Dave's words. The finish saw Inoue invent a new move to Japan, which from the sounds of things would be somewhat similar to the Death Valley driver, a.k.a. the Spicoli driver, Louis Spicoli's move. But it's a reversal. So instead of being stomach on shoulders, back to shoulders, drop them down. Uh, and as he's put, is said to have looked very dangerous. This is the debut of the Victoria driver, which we know better as the fucking burning hammer. Yeah. So the burning hammer has just been... Ad- and if you don't know what the burning hammer is, fuck me. It's it, it's one of those wrestling moves where Kabashi, I think, only used it seven times. And it's it's one of those things that I, when AEW formed, I'd hope they'd bring it in. They have done a little bit. The idea of a super finisher, a move that you only use when you have to fucking win. Um but it's 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 a Japanese wrestling trope that I like. But he only used it seven times, and then you know on the indies in, in the big indie boom, people you know kicking out of it at one and stuff. But it's one of those that when you see it, you just go, oh oh oh, that's not right. That that's horrible. Uh, Trent Seven uses it as a finish, uh, yeah. And, uh, and I was always convinced he used it because it sounded a bit like he was saying Birmingham, which is Birmingham, which is just outside <laughs> Wolverhampton. <laughs> If he doesn't call it that, then fuck me. That'd be amazing. So there's an option. There's a goal there, sir. If you wanted just to kick it in, you may go for it, sir. 
He's, well, he's, he's well as we know, Trent Trent Seven signed to TNA. Now I'm sure you could have a word with him and be like, "A up, A up, cocker, duck, <laughs> monkey, whatever you call each other in the Midlands." Uh, spag, come here, Birmingham. <laughs> spag, I can have I can have a word with his with his tag partner, uh, aka former house guest Speedball Mike Bailey. <laughs> Of course, I can't believe you. I was going to text it because I peeked behind the gate and I got a text from Tom, a, a lovely picture of uh, friends of the channel, Speedball Mike Bailey and Vader Scott playing with Pablo. And I was going to say, I can't believe you made them take off their shoes in the flat. But then, <laughs> but then I stopped myself because I was like, wow, I can't believe Speedball Mike Bailey outside the ring wears shoes. So- <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Hey, look, he might be the best wrestler in the world. And, and Vader Scott might be one of the best commentators of the, of, in the world, but we have a shoe policy in our place. Yeah. Stick to your guns, Bob. Absolutely. Spag. Absolutely. Sp- <laughs> spag. Just the the, 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 the the West Midlands terminology. Spag. Stick spag. to your guns. They were lovely, by the way. They were lovely guests. Yeah. We, had, uh, we went to the wrestling. Mike just casually just had the match of the year, three days into January. Um, of course. <laughs> which is just what he does. Uh, it was amazing to call commentary with Vader Scott in person for the first time because we do commentary for North, but it's normally over Zoom. To, yeah. to be sat next to Vader as we did it was great. Great fun. It's be- we don't suck better together. Than be sat- <laughs> I was going to say it'd be better than being sat next to Big Van Vader because he'd stink. <laughs> he, did have a, he did have a history of having a bit of Ooh. a spell. And then we... Then we went back and we what did we have for tea? We had we had, we ordered we ordered a, a bunch of stuff. We we ordered we ordered wrap we ordered wraps I think. We ordered Ooh. we ordered meat wraps, not the Vincent Mann ones uh, from a Lebanese <laughs> from a Lebanese place and just and just talk shit till about one in the morning. It was great. Oh, bloody bloody meat wraps. <laughs> uh, I've already got uh, this. Is just the, the best of bollocks. Um, obviously, we we like to keep our ears to the ground on the UK independence scene. You yourself are a, a vital part of it. Am I? But, Holy uh, shit! I'd say I'd say you are. Yeah. Terrifying. But <laughs> Merseyside massacre. Have you heard this in February 2024 in Liverpool? A four-way match: Mao nice. versus Jordan Oliver versus Leon Slater. Versus Yoshihiko, the fucking doll. Oh my god! I hadn't heard that. See, uh, my beautiful baby boy Luke Osborne sent me the actual match card because I just saw Yoshihiko's coming to Liverpool, and it's the road over where I've got my studio space in town. I was like, "Well, I'm fucking going." And then when I saw, oh, Leon Slate is going to be wrestling him as part of a four way. I was like, "This is going to be incredible." It sounds amazing. <laughs> Yoshihiko, mate. Are you, are you going Christ. to the show? I'm going to go. Yeah. Yes, I haven't booked tickets. Yes, because I've uh, I've just booked one holiday. I'm about to book a second holiday, so uh, I've got to be a bit boring and sensible till at least February. <laughs> but how exciting, though! Very talking of exciting. One last bit of news for you, and it's from the bollocks category. Are you ready for some New Year's bollocks? Born for bollocks, mate. So. All Dave's words. A totally weird situation occurred at an indie show on December 8th in Woodbridge, uh, VA, which is Virginia. Yeah, nice. hard to remember then. When the promoter of the card no-showed and nobody got paid, and they basically told the fans what had happened. Sabu and Rob Van Dam were scheduled to headline, and both simply decided not to work since no one was getting paid. Stevie Richards, Blue Meanie, Axel Rotten, and the Headbangers took over the show and did a bunch of comedy spots, such as Nick Patrick Ref par- parodying... Par- parodying the word is parody Parodying. there, Dave. 
uh, and pretending to do a match with Hogan versus Warrior Spots. At one point, several of the wrestlers were in the ring while an explicit Adam Sandler song was playing and they were all pretending to wank. At another point, the wrestlers were doing a pass the hat for money with the fans answering questions uh, for a dollar apiece. When Rotten was asked how he got the scars on his arm, he said that he cut up a Gillette razor blade, taped it to his hand and cut up his shoulder while his opponent was hitting him with a baseball bat. The gangsters worked, running in wearing street clothes and beating up Richards and Meany in 30 seconds. After the match, Richards and Meany turned on each other and did Hogan Warrior spots back and forth on each other. <laughs> bollocks, mate. Absolute bollocks. And again, you're, the thing you've come back to a few times in this, the idea that you know wrestling's cyclical, it always comes back around. I'm sure a similar incident happened last year. Mm, where the promoter yeah. did a runner with the money and the talent just went, ah, this is part of a silly show. Yeah. Like, it's, but it's, you know, a, a testament to even though, you know, the, the wrestlers are there, they're out of pocket, they're just like, ah, well, we can't punish the fans. Let's give them something at least. And about the fans who I still talk about that event, it's like, oh, do you remember, do you remember all the <laughs> Blue Meanie versus Stevie Richards, Hogan versus Warrior? Brilliant. What a night. <laughs> Pay your talent, though. Come on. Mm. Oh, God, uh, yeah. Jesus Christ. If you're a promoter, pay your wrestlers. It's not much to ask. Right. So thank you to Jack Atkins for going through the uh, the Wrestling Observer Pigeon Scratch for, 20, yes. for 1996. What's exciting is now the it's, we, we start a new era for the Wrestling Observer. Dave Meltzer has talked about this and said that now that the Wrestling Observer newsletter will no longer be in print form, it can be as long as he wants it to be. And I was like... I thought it was pretty long already. Yeah, yeah. So a peek behind the curtain, obviously, on Fridays. It's one of our busiest days because, love him or hate him, Dave Meltzer, you can get stories out of him, whether it's stuff he's said, whether it's stuff that ties into something else, whether his his take on things, whether he's accurate or not, whether he is your cup of tea or not, he has got enough clout and name in there that, People want to hear what he says. Again, end of the day, it's one man's opinion. So on Fridays when it comes out, I know you have a look at it sometimes, if not every week for the stuff for the uh, YouTube news videos, but Aiden Gibbons pours over it. Uh, and Jesus Christ, he was not happy with the latest one, the first fully digital edition, because I think it took him an hour and 20 minutes to read it. <laughs> Mm. What a joy. Anyway, let's go back to December 1996. Before we get into Raw, uh, Tom watches Superstars on three times speed. So Ooh. you don't have to. As in Superstars on three times speed or you've had three hits of speed? Bit of column A, bit of column B. Okay. Uh, it may, either, yeah. either way, about nine seconds passed and I'd watch the whole thing. <laughs> so uh, Superstars airs the night before Raw uh, on syndication. Uh, I think it's synd- it's it's on a lot of channels. And mm. um, so I always like to take a little peek because sometimes they'll give you a few little storyline flicks and flex that we don't get on Raw. So on Superstars for Sunday, December the 8th, Rocky Maivia beats T.L. Hopper. You had Jim Cornette mm-hmm. in his corner. Rocky getting a, a little bit of revenge against Jim Cornette who tried to embarrass him last week on Superstars. So uh, Rocky's got a little... A little something going on on superstars away from Monday nights, but he's ticking over. Uh, it's a bit like in 2024. Just like in 2024, because he's. I mean, I mean, I'm. Do we are we getting Rock Roman at Elimination Chamber or at WrestleMania? I watched the Bischoff um, business podcast this week, and him and John Alba were saying if it was them, they'd do. Elim- Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? 
and some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Elimination Chamber rather than WrestleMania. And loads of people are calling them idiots, but I agree with them wrestlemania is wrestlemania it sells itself if you want to have people flocking to be like oh shit if they're having the rock wrestle in australia what's going to happen when they come to france what's going to happen when they come to germany from a business perspective it's a great idea from an audience perspective considering the main market is america maybe not but i'd go for elimination chamber yeah me too that feels like yeah and, I, and i'm sure i'd read somewhere that in the early conversations between wwe and the australian tourism sector it was they they were keen to get the rock over for something yeah so exactly lines up quite nicely yeah um the 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 way that wwe are moving forward and their business moves in the past year have been incredible but they are finally realizing that the first w stands for world they're taking the global expansion seriously uh they're selling out arenas for every event it, oh, sorry, stadiums for every event. Whereas it used to be you'd get a stadium for definitely WrestleMania, the very, very rare Royal Rumble, like in 1996, uh, 97, sorry, and SummerSlam. Now they're just like, why not Why not have Backlash in a 60,000 stadium next year if we want? Why not have Elimination Chamber in front of 70,000 people in Australia? If they're going to make every show massive, they need to bump them, so... Yeah, I can I can understand why they would all, if they all do. about that. Uh, we do get it's funny enough you're saying that we get a nice recap of the WWF Euro, uh, international tour of the UK and the UAE, uh, which which mm. saw Bret Hart winning the Dubai Cup, uh, which is a mini tournament they held. Uh, we saw uh, we get a nice bit of B roll of the wrestlers frolicking in international waters and mankind sat in the desert, uh, just cross legged screaming about wanting to go home. Yeah, we, we, we do we do see that uh, momentarily roar as well. And it was genuinely creepy. Mm, very creepy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Savio Vega beats Bert Centeno with relative ease. Uh, they're teasing Savio versus Crush uh, for next week on Superstars. 
Uh, mm. Diesel and Razor Ramon beat Brian Walsh and Tony Roy. We get our first sighting of British Bulldog in 2024 on Superstars. <laughs> he and Owen Hart do a picture-in-picture picture where Bulldog doesn't really say anything particularly hilarious, but he does say the bigger mm. they are, the harder they fall, and then tenses his muscles. That's a good line from Bulldog. Thanks, mate. Uh, <laughs> try again next week. Uh, Ahmed Johnson in the ring promises to take down the nation of domination. Uh, we have a hilarious bit here where the nation's music hits and JC Ice and Wolfie D start rapping. We are the nation of life and color. Don't disband. They appear on the stage, like above the, above the entrance, like in, in like almost the skybox of the arena. Mm. And they walk out and JC Ice and Wolfie D stand uh, either side of Farouk and Clarence Mason. Then the, they finish their rap. Farouk stands there and stares at Ahmed Johnson Ahmed's in the ring screaming, you're going down. And there's a pause. Farouk doesn't say anything. The nation's music starts again. And JC Ice and Wolfie D just start, we are the nation coming live, man. <laughs> so they just start <laughs> rapping again. And then as they walk through, it's like they realize there's no point to carry on rapping because they get to, they get through the curtain. This real not playing. Farouk is the man getting in stuff. Just, just completely peter out. Just made me chuckle. Uh, uh, Doug Furness and Phil Lafon beat the headbangers. The headbangers are kind of already formed. Like the headbangers that we're seeing yeah. on Superstars with music and attire is the headbangers that we're going to see for the next like four years. Yeah. With uh, with Rad Radford's old music as well. Is it Rad Radford's old music? I'm pretty wow. sure it is, yeah. Because I, I think in, in my time uh, reviewing Raw with you, Tom, that we, we had like a couple of weeks of Rad Radford before he was out the company. I remember when he came out with the music, I was like, oh, Headbangers music. You are right. Yeah. Ah, yes, there you go. Uh, and in the main mm. event, Bart Gunn beat Triple H by disqualification for the Intercontinental title. This is heavily mentioned on Raw this week uh, after mm. a run-in from Billy Gunn. Uh, Mark Mera then makes the save, and that's how Superstars goes off the air with Bart Gunn coming within a, a whisper of becoming the IC champion. Anyway, that was Superstars. Gives you a little painting of where things are at. But as we get into Monday Night Raw, a video package hyped up our main event for Raw on Monday, December the 9th, 1996. It is Undertaker versus Mankind in a no-holds-barred match. And don't forget as well, beforehand, even though you claim that we're not, we're in the Attitude Era because it starts with a screen that says, viewer discretion is advised for this episode of Monday Night Raw. I was going to ask you, that's new, isn't it? I've not seen that before. No, I've not seen that before either. Because uh, I don't think this episode was particularly too violent either. Obviously, we'll we'll come on to the main event, but hmm, no. let's, uh, let's, let's wait and see. Uh, no title card, straight into it. The first thing we see is the WWF champion, Psycho Sid. He is facing, in all his sweaty glory, the WWF Intercontinental Champion, Hunter Hearst Helmsley. Neither title on the line in our opening match. JR says that Sid finds himself at a crossroads this Sunday, possibly etching his name into immortality by beating Bret Hart at In Your House, It's Time, a show that was very much initially meant to be Vader's show. Otherwise, why is it called It's Time? It's a weird (laughs) thing to do. It's uh, it's it's Sid time because I'll tell you this for free. He looks fantastic with the winged eagle. He looks absolutely. He looks when he came out. I actually went, "Ooh, bloody hell, Sydney! You look fantastic, mate." <laughs> we all thought that. Uh, yeah, you you forget actually how much that winged eagle suits Sydney. 
Yeah, it really does. Really? The winged Sydney. The, we, call we call it the winged Sydney in this house. Uh, Sid, uh, as a Hunter comes towards the ring, Sid can't be asked to wait. He attacks Hunter on the ramp and boots him all the way to the ring. Hunter gets fuck all. Military press from Sydney. Clothesline to the outside from Sydney. Dropped on the barricade by Sydney. Hunter gets back in the ring and begs off for doing a flare flop into the corner. Uh, lovely little homage to Ric Flair. Choke slam, power bomb. Hunter rolls out of the ring post powerbomb and takes a count out win after just shy of three minutes. Uh, they absolutely job out the secondary champion here, I'm afraid, Jack. Yeah, it's this uh, weird, very weird, because you're trying to establish Sid as this big monster heel. But obviously, they're all chatting one more time because he's battered Hunter Hearst Helmsley, who is detestable as a character at the time. Um, I'd loathe to say it, but instead of Hunter could not have, like, Davey or Owen or who else? Goldust? I know we'll see Goldust in a different form, but someone other than Hunter could have been in this spot. Because especially that Hunter has a title match on Sunday. He's defending the IC title in your house against Mark Mero. So why make him look like a bit of... Obviously on on Superstars, he gets a good run out against Mark mm. Gunn. But then he Mark Gunn nearly beats him. Uh, and yeah. he just gets absolutely clattered here. Like, I mean, I mean uh, we'll have to wait and see unless they're doing some kind of crisis of confidence story leading up to his uh, appearance at In Your House It's Time. But this, I can imagine this at a house show, but it was odd, odd booking for a televised product. Very odd. Now, throughout the night, we get little cutaways of the story of Mankind and Undertaker and moments during their feud where it has gone too far, like the bit on mm. Raw during the Battle Royal from a few months back where they are brawling in the backstage area. Uh, so there's, and we get little little segments throughout the night that sort of show you the the, mo- the more violent moments of the Undertaker Mankind story ahead of what feels like a story ending match between the two, a feud blowing off type thing, but it's certainly not that. But that's what we're building yeah. towards. Hmm. Yeah, it's 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 a strange one because um, like you said that the whole night is building this, like you said, a feud ending style match, and to have it on. Raw rather than the pay-per-view seems odd, but then you've got to remind yourself Monday Night Wars, it's anything to get a, a boost in the ratings really, isn't it? So if, if if this was 1996 and you heard, oh, remember those two bangers between Undertaker and Mankind? They're having another one, no holds barred on Raw. You'd be tempted to tune in. You would, you would. Uh, to our next match though is neither Undertaker nor Mankind. That's later tonight. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> it's Goldust. <laughs> Versus Bart Gunn next. Uh, as mm. Goldust walks to the ring, Vince says we won't see Goldust in any Christmas movies. Certainly not Jingle All the Way. Mm. Oh. Which, despite being topical because it's Arnie's new film and it's the number one in the box office, it is strange to plug a movie that features a WCW wrestler. Yeah, I, I don't know if Vince was just like, who's the big, the big elf? I want to make him champion. <laughs> I could book him better. You can't, mate. <laughs> Vince, you can book him about the same. Yeah, it's fair to middling. Uh, yeah. Vince remarks on Goldust's histrionics. Mm. I am 39 and a, a slither before 40. And I looked that word up. 
And do you have the Oxford Dictionary definition there of histrionics? Histrionics means his dramatic attention-grabbing behaviour. Love that. Going to find a way to get histrionics into something I do in the weeks to come. (laughs) Even if you don't use the word, if you exhibit uh, displays of histrionics, I think that would count. Yeah, if I I do a Dalton Castle cosplay, I can... Use my history. Oh, I'd love that. Oh, can I be one of your yeah, boys? Always, mate. <laughs> you can be both of them. <laughs> Commentary put over Bart Gunn as being buttock clenchingly close to winning the IC title on Superstars had it not been mm. for the dastardly Billy Gunn. But the guns will explode on Raw next week, like an NRA <laughs> conference. Goldust <laughs> throws gold dust in Bart Gunn's eyes to get the early advantage. Oh, no. Like a bit of gold mist. JR. <laughs> JR says Bart is seeing more spots than Cruella de Vil, which everyone heartily laughs at. 101 Dalmatians oh, in oh, cinemas now. Oh, oh, oh. Did you notice this week that I don't know if he was just toning it down, but it felt like Jim Ross has completely given up being a heel already. Oh, no, no. There were points where he was a bit of a dick where I think Vince McMahon was was remarking on how Jim Ross calls himself the best play-by-play analyst, and JR's going, yeah, you're right, I am. And that's why I'm going to interview Bret Hart later on, not you. I'm going to do it. Yeah. There was a little bit. And I think think he mentions the fact like, yeah, well, I'm out here all night tonight, not just for a bit. I'm out here for the whole hour. Mm. He's he's a workhorse as Jim Ross in 1996. (laughs) He's definitely, he works a whole hour. God love him. But, but you're right in the sense that he's eased it up a bit, and I'm glad. Yeah. Because it, I found it quite distracting when I find it distracting when the commentators all they do is try and get themselves over. Yeah. But you're not yeah. there to. You're there to get the wrestling over. Exactly. Yeah. Stop it. It's easy. It's easy. This wrestling thing. <laughs> don't know why more people don't do it. Sit around, kid. I'll teach you I'll something. Teach you something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's piece of piss this wrestling thing i don't see what anyone complains about uh gold dust sends bart gun to the outside bart is fighting back despite being partially blind by the dust billy gun mm. is watching backstage he says he carried bart gun and promises to whip his tail to text all the way back to texas next week on raw the guns collide uh, i like the little picture in picture of billy gun yeah he's yeah a- it's, it's just a uh well, 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 well We'll come back to that at the end of the we'll match. Back. Goldust dominates <laughs> yeah. through the break, but Bart lands a bulldog post-break to get back into the fight. Finish comes in a stupid manner. Gun goes for a crossbody, completely misses. He seems to land and tweak his leg. Goldust therefore follows up with a chop block, which is now super effective. It gets a three. Fuck's sake, Bart, you've ruined it again. Billy Gunn marches to the ring, gets on the microphone and tells Bart Gunn that he is truly nothing without him. Bart fires up and lands a couple of blows to the boat race of Billy before sending him running to the back. They will fight next week. Yeah, you're saying there, Billy coming out and grabbing the mic. He said the exact same prayer that he did picture in picture, but only this time Bart could hear it. And I was like, oh, you'll... You'll get a bit better on the mic, Billy. And I like the fact he was dressed like he was in the Truth Commission as well. So that was nice. <laughs> He's having to mix up his look of it so he doesn't look like a cowboy anymore. Yeah. Um, I thought, again, I didn't... Not that it wasn't very good because Goldust was looking fired up. And as we know, Goldust and Barkwood are two legit, tough old big bastards. Um, 
but the booking of it, like, it was a dominant win for Goldust, but all the focus was on Bark Gunn and Billy Gunn, and the fact that, like you said, Bark Gunn lost to a chop block to the knee. It was a... Mm, yeah. Mm. It wasn't very good, was it? Wasn't great, it wasn't no, no. Good, Your Honour. Backstage, Justin Hawk Bradshaw and Uncle Zebekiah are getting pumped up for their handicap match against Jesse James. James talks about being in Desert Storm. Zeb says, that's nothing. I was in Vietnam for 11 months, and that's true hell, like you're going to experience. Slightly different hell, I would assume, wrestling. (laughs) Justin then promises that Jesse will be squealing like a cow what's had the branding iron stuck on its booty. Yeah. um... Me told. (laughs) It was just, I'm just watching it all, just like, look at these sweaty men. I can barely hear what they're saying. <laughs> they were very sweaty men, weren't they? Uh, so oh God, this oh is yeah. the match that was built from last week with um, Jesse James, uh, sick of Justin Hawk Bradshaw and Uncle Zeb uh, being cheaty boys. So instead of, instead of giving Zeb the opportunity to cheat on the outside, he's in the match officially. I quite like that little mm. setup. It's nice. Uh, it's a nice setup until you remember that the match between uh, Hawk Bradshaw and Jesse James last week was shite. Mm. So, will, adding Zeb to the mix, we'll will see. Will the inclusion of Dutch Mantel help things? <laughs> well, the answer won't shock you. Todd Pettingill reflects on the brilliance that has been the Milton Bradley Karate Fighters Tournament, a montage set to soft music. Everybody involved genuinely seemed to have a lovely time playing with the Karate Fighters over the last few weeks. And then Todd gives us a very dramatic rundown for the head of the final. I loved this. God love Todd Pettingill. Who, who says, what a great time it's been, and ahead of, and now it's time to think about the final. And then he does a slight turn to the left as the lights dim, and he is just in a spotlight as he runs down the karate fighters themselves that people could choose from. With all the, the um, sincerity of announcing the winner of the Eurovision Song Contest. I was like, I, I enjoy that. <laughs> I'm with you. I love this because it's it's how a tie-in should be. Like you said, the soft music over the uh, highlights package. They're taking piss. They're having fun with the idea of the sponsorship and uh, like acknowledging that this is a bit ridiculous without ever denigrating the product and doing the hard sell. It was a brilliant bit of a salesmanship by Todd Pettengill. He's worth his weight in gold. Really Fucking you can have fun without taking the piss. And, and Todd mm. Pettengill walks that line magnificently here. Uh, mm. Cyber Fist, Headstone, Tiger Ninja, Samurai Ninja. Uh, four of the things you can eat on the Butterfield <laughs> diet plan. Uh, Jerry Lawler and Sable must choose which of the fighters they want next week in the tournament final on Karate Fighters Monday, a.k.a. Raw the night after In Your House It's Time. We have a live <laughs> final between Jerry Lawler and Sable as, as, it, as it stands. I can't believe that they're in a live final for it. Fantastic. They better not cheat me and do something silly and pretend backstage. I want it in the ring in front in front yeah. of an apathetic audience or my money yes. back. Thank you. And I want Sable to cut a live promo unprompted. <laughs> That's what I I wanted to hold up the Karate Fighters trophy and go, all these legends that fought for this and they can all kiss <laughs> my ass. I'm igniting the flame of the sport of karate fighters. I refuse to be handed the torch of an organization that died. All right. Sorry, I really like that Shane Douglas promo. It's a great promo. It's a good promo. 
I like I like that, and then he starts calling people dick. I think that's fun too. <laughs> Rick Flair's a poo-poo head. Shane Douglas, nineteen ninety-seven. <laughs> Handicap match time. It is just Bradshaw and Uncle Zebekiah taking on Double J. Uh, he heads to the ring singing his theme song, but it's used as subterfuge as he gets towards the chorus. He switches it up to go, I can't wait to fight Justin Bradshaw and Zebekiah. And he gets in the ring and jumps them. <laughs> right. In, they weren't expecting it because in their heads, they were humming the song. I mean, it was super effective because Jesse James single-handedly kicked fuck out of both of these fellas. It was. He battered them. He battered them. Amazing work by Double J. Early advantage to him. A rogue bulldog, however, not the one that we like. Um, puts mm. Bradshaw back in charge. <laughs> I love that. Keep singing it. It's beautiful. <laughs> Did you say you needed a bulldog? No, the move. I'm, I'm a move. No, you're not. You're, you're a I've... person. Oh, no, I'm having an existential crisis. You need me to be alone with your baby? Well, I can do babysitting, but it's £5 <laughs> an hour and I'm allowed, I'm allowed to watch whatever I like as long as I don't get frightened. <laughs> W- and I'm helping myself to fridge contents. <laughs> Come back from your night out at the bingo. <laughs> the baby's crying. Bulldogs watching. Fucking when when died when dogs attack at full volume, <laughs> and he's eating a big Scooby Doo style sandwich. Thirty quid, please. <laughs> <laughs> when dogs attack. <laughs> <coughs> Go ahead, bat him. Bat him, you fucker. <laughs> when animals attack magicians. <laughs> oh, watch out, Siegfried and or Roy. There's a big cat there. Big cat there. Oh, shit, they're back early. All right. Yeah, baby won't sleep. But now in Bulldog, though, there was actually no ingredients for a butty, so it's just a loaf of bread buttered. <laughs> and he's eating it in one. It's my favourite bread sandwich. I did like you asked, yeah, baby, baby, you know, he's grizzly, so I gave him, gave him, a, gave him a fag and a bothril, and he's still not happy. <laughs> I did exactly what you said. I put the turkey in the oven for you at Gas Mark Five, and the baby's asleep. Davey, why is a turkey in the in the child's crib? Oh, I've made a terrible error. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I've landed myself in oh, it again. <laughs> bulldog, says the parents. Oh, Bulldog. <laughs> Don't trust me. I go play Doom now. <laughs> I'm saving up to buy a screwball scramble. <laughs> oh, our Tom's got it. It's brilliant. <laughs> press the buttons and watch the ball move around the fucking screwball scramble. I'm saving up to buy a ho- to, to buy a Hogan blender. <laughs> Tom, to Tom's dare me to stick my willy in it. He <laughs> stick my willy in it, he'll give me 30 quid. <laughs> if I give me 30 quid, it says if I stick my willy in it, he'll let me look at his jazz bags. <laughs> <laughs> Not the good ones, though, the spent oh, ones. The really crunchy ones. Right. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Oh, welcome back. Uh, so, uh, Zebekiah gets tagged in. 
And Jess, yes, Jesse <laughs> James immediately puts him in a small package and nearly gets pinned. Uh, Bradshaw breaks it up, though. Uh, James knocks mm. Zeb off the apron. Very slow spot here where James gets whipped into the corner. And uh, it's almost like they forget briefly what they're doing because he's in the corner mm. being very gingerly held by Zeb. And then he ends up booting Justin, who's coming towards him, and then elbowing Zeb twice, who doesn't move. And then Jesse grabs him by the head and properly punches him to knock him down and then gets a side slap for his trouble. The whole spot yeah, looks a yeah. little bit uncomfortable. Yeah, I think uncomfortable is definitely the word. A malfunction at the junction. Actually, shoot. That's that's exactly <laughs> as it should be. Anyway, the end comes, thank God. Justin Bradshaw tries to get Zeb to crack Jesse with the branding iron. But, oh, talking of malfunctions at the junction, Zeb misses and hits Bradders instead. Double J gets the win off the miscommunication. One, two, three. And Jesse J has beaten Justin Hawk Bradshaw and Uncle Zebekiah. He leaves the ring very quickly, wanting to get as far away from this match as humanly possible. Uh, post-match, Bradshaw then clobbers Zebekiah and levels it with a clothesline from hell before branding him for good measure. Is this the end of Uncle Zebekiah? Uh, I can't remember. I assume so. I don't think... I should, I, should, I should know. It's not like I wrote a big list on managers. I think for the uh, Uncle Zebekiah bit, I was like, ah, he was Uncle Zebekiah for a bit. And then he was Zeb Coulter, which was, oh, that was a bit problematic. <laughs> that was basically the whole entry. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, you kind of very briefly focused on that and then just moved on to, oh, yes, the very the very dodgy Zeb Coulter years mm. of, of, of him. So in terms of what happens next, um, he does indeed <laughs> step away from the WWF at this point. He will get released this year. Uh, I don't know whether it's like in the next week or the week after, but he is no longer on the books for the company as as we enter 1997. I'm interested see what happens with Bradshaw going forward because as we know there's going to be some there's going to be some new blackjack at some point Tom but uh, I don't think that's for a little while yet so all the ingredients are there yes they are Jesus Christ (laughs) what a tonic that is this was um, this was a shite match this was not good the booking was bad I am glad that Bradshaw is free of Zebekiah because this run has been shite Uh, Double J looks crap too mainly because Although he'll tell you differently himself, he's not a great worker in ring. Um, far better than I could ever be with any training because, again, he's a Hall of Famer. But the power of Jesse James is either in tag work or on the mic. He's very charismatic. Expected him to do a kind of white meat babyface singles match before he becomes the road dog. Mm. Yeah, mm, weak source. Mm, it's the weakest of source for Jesse James this evening. Mm. Raw is brought to you by Sega Saturn. Buy a Saturn for Christmas, get three free games. Dear God, please buy a Sega Saturn. We have literally staked the company on this. Please buy a Sega Saturn. <laughs> yeah, it's a tough Christmas for Sega Saturn. Yeah. Uh, what's that, Nintendo? Six, six, 64 bits. Yeah. Oh, and Mario's there. Right. Please buy a Sega Saturn. We priced this too high. <laughs> There's a Sonic game coming out, is there? Yep. When? In a minute? Yeah, Any minute yeah. now? We just, just finish it off? Yep. Yeah. Oh, wait. Hang on. No, we've just scrapped the whole concept. We're starting again. Okay. When's it out? When's what out? The Sonic game. We're not making a Sonic game. You just said you were. No. We didn't. No. 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 We didn't. We didn't. S- said we've made a Sonic <laughs> That's game. That's not a lie. 
Yeah. And that is the story of Sonic Extreme for the Sega Saturn. <laughs> Tom Campbell deep dived oh, into. I, I, I deep dived. I know you've, you you well, have deep dived. bloody deep dived into that bag of shite. <laughs> it looked really fun. I'd have played the shit yeah. out of it, but alas and alack, we never got it, Jack. Uh, Jim Ross is in the ring and he brings out his good friend, Brett the Hitman Heart. Brett looking strong in all denim. I am delighted to look at this uh, Brett Hart fashion selection because, dear God, in the run-up to Christmas, I spent far too long looking looking at Brett Hart wearing Batman t-shirts and jean shorts. I'm relieved to see Brett Hart looking like a normal human being. Yeah, because I, when I saw your uh, deep dive on Bret Hart's return, I was like, why have they given it to Tom? Tom doesn't, <laughs> not that you don't like Bret Hart, but I'd hardly consider you a fan. <laughs> Give it to me. I won't be biased. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's probably why we didn't. <laughs> yeah, probably. I did start the, the deep dive by saying, look, he is genuinely one of the best ever. But this yeah. year was, a bit, but the, all oh, the, uh, a mixture of, Lots of nice comments from people going, really enjoyed the, uh, the, the the trip down memory lane. And and a lot of people who have told me to fuck off and die. So I think that's sort of what you, you reach for when you make a, an opinion piece that long, is a little bit of both. Possibly, Tom. But like all of your loving colleagues have been telling you for years now, stop reading oh, the comments. These, these, no, <laughs> these weren't comments. These were genuine. These were people who I respect. Not the fuck off and die one. But um, there were people who, <laughs> in real life, came up to me and went, "I disagree with you," and I was like, "That's oh. great," because it's that's it's only my opinion, and that's fair. And I then. Tell them they're wrong, and then you punch them in punch. the neck and you leg it. I put, their, I put their shirt over their head and I punch them in the gut. Fuck off, it's, you it's dweeb! The, it's the, and then I, I slowly hit them with the tire iron for ten hours. Yep. That's the Bret Hart offense of two thousand ten. Yeah, yeah. Go watch it, Bret Hart. Uh, remembering Bret Hart's disastrous <laughs> 2010 return. Uh, it's not completely disastrous, but go watch it and have a lovely time. Anyway, here comes Bret Hart, looking lovely in double denim. Uh, yeah. Bret says things in the WWF get crazier and crazier. Uh, as we recap the attempted pilmanizing of Bret Hart from the other week, Jr. even calls it pilmanizing. Mm. It's been referenced on commentary as pilmanizing, but this is the putting it out there as an official term in the world of the WWF. So I yeah. didn't know that... I, I must have missed the word pilmanizing. I didn't realise that that became known as pilmanizing so soon after. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I had always assumed it was one in hindsight because of how famous the angle was. It's like, oh, remember when they did that? But, but, but like you said, within a few weeks of doing it, yeah, it's it's... It's part of the link. It really is. Uh, also, we've got the shenanigans from the London arena that we that we recap as well. Brett tells mm. Psycho Sid that all he's thought about is becoming WWF champion again. When you snap, says Brett to Sid, people call you Psycho. When I snap, they'll call me World Wrestling Federation champion. Brett promises Sid that he'll be excellently executed at In Your House. I thought this was a fantastic bit of business. I thought it was good as well. Um, he was fired up. He didn't ramble. Obviously, you know, the bar's low for a Bret Hart promo until until 1997. Boy, ooh, let me tell you something. Um, but this feels like a precursor to that because he did seem a bit agitated. He's like, ah, I'm going to snap. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to batter you, you big curly-haired lummox. Yeah. <laughs> 
this isn't going to be sportsmanship. I'm going to try and break your pelvis, you twat. <laughs> um, yeah, I thought it was really good. It was to the point. It was quick, and he was wearing double denim. So ten out of ten. <laughs> no notes. Ten on ten. We come to the main event. It's Mankind versus The Undertaker. Before that, though, we get uh, two little VTs. The first is that strange clip, once again, of Mankind in the desert in Dubai, cross-legged, playing in the sand, telling Uncle Paul he wants to go home. Mm, poor, poor little fella. <laughs> and we also get a video of the WWF geeks, who, as we now know, are high up people within the WWE system. Yeah. They're in a locker room trying to determine whose locker room it is. They see a big old boot, and the one says, oh, that's Yokozuna's boot, to which they go, Yoko doesn't wear shoes. Oh, what fun they're having. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's the whole bit. It's not even me being a dick. Yeah. That's the bit. Vince McMahon even teed this up by referring to them as George and Adam. He was like, oh, George and Adam. And I cut to them. I was like, oh, for God's sake. <laughs> um, I know this lasts at least until the Slammies. Um, I, I, fuck knows when it ends. Jesus, I always like it when wrestling promoters, particularly <clears throat> billionaire wrestling promoters, do things that represent the fans. <laughs> yeah, to be fair to Vince McMahon, he has always shown contempt for the fans. He's never flipped. He's been consistent. It's the one thing he's been consistent in. Yeah. You're all a bunch of dickheads. <laughs> like, it's like I don't get it when wrestlers just like, oh, look at these fucking marks out here. It's like, well, don't you want that? <laughs> <laughs> You've all paid to see me. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Quite like you. Yeah, <laughs> I remember brought the kids. They're having <laughs> fun. <laughs> I remember being at a TNA wrestling show in like 2010. And Bully Ray was there. Mm. And Bully Ray was going, you're all pieces of trash. And me and my mate Lee going, yeah, we are. <laughs> We're the worst. Cheers, Bully. I've, I've, <clears throat> I've had one smarky moment in my life. It was at a WE house show in Liverpool years ago. And it was um, Harry Smith, DH Smith versus Chavo Guerrero. But me and my mates being WCW guys, we were like, Chavo, 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 the only ones. And he turned around and went, I don't need your help. And we were like, hey. <laughs> so what? You were in the same room as as the son of Bulldog again? Uh, I, I, I looked differently oh, then. Yeah. Not I've been aware. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the man of a thousand faces. <laughs> I'm, I'm the Dean Marco of being a chameleon. <laughs> I like the idea of a man of a thousand faces and it's just you with a series of wigs on. (laughs) (laughs) Same facial expression, like blonde wig, black-haired wig. It's like, change your glasses. No, I won't be able to see. (laughs) (laughs) My new character is uh, is Peter Incongrenable. You just take your glasses off. Yeah, and squint a lot. (laughs) And I look like Clint Eastwood. You do look like, but in a, but in a, in a blonde afro wig. <laughs> you a bit like Robert De Niro when you do that. I'll take that. Robert Thank De Niro esque. Yeah, yeah. Right here we go. Yeah. Main event. <laughs> right, let's Undertaker get to it. Undertaker, mankind, no holds barred. <coughs> Taker controls from the off with a bloody old school, or as it's called at this point, probably primary school, uh, and a choke slam. <laughs> picks up mankind for the tombstone, but here's the executioner to stop that bullshit. <laughs> 
<laughs> Undertaker chases him to the back as we go to a commercial break. But don't worry, when the break ends, they are fighting ringside by the steel steps. Undertaker is trying to break the mankind mandible claw hand with the steps by putting the steps putting his hand, taking the steps apart. He puts the, the hand on the step, gets the other step and goes kadung on Mankind's Ooh, hand. Yeah. And Mankind squeals like a pig uh, the, uh, in agony as his hand seems to be shattered into a thousand pieces. Uh, Mankind chop blocks Undertaker back in the ring to turn the tide. The commentators then start plugging Undertaker versus Executioner that will take place on Sunday in Armageddon Rules. Pray tell, Tom. So Armageddon so, rules. So Armageddon rules. If my memory serves, it's pinfall, and then you've got ten seconds to get back to your feet. It's essentially a Texas death match. Yeah, yeah, and uh, keep going until we can't continue. It's the referee's discretion. Like you said before, as we were building up to this, the fact that they've positioned this mankind vessel match is like, oh, you know, this is the the end of the the trilogy after the boiler room brawl and the buried alive match, and this is like a feud ending thing on Raw. And then Undertaker's going to fight the number two of the group on pay-per-view. It's a bit odd. It should have, you know, in hindsight, it should have been executioner here, Mankind at the pay-per-view. Yeah, probably. But like we said before, Monday Night Wars and the thinking we need to eyes on the product and if people watch this for free they're like oh if that was a good match Undertaker Executioner if that's safe at your House that'll be better Terry Gordy so. how could it miss oh, mm. it does. Uh, outside the ring Mankind lands an elbow drop off the apron onto Taker's leg resting on a steel chair JR says I heard a pop as he as he lands so Undertaker's possibly done his leg in he hasn't he's fine Taker no. retaliates with a body slab onto the Spanish announce table as we go to break. We're still not getting much announce table action, so this came as quite a cool bit. Yeah, because I think we've only had two table breakages so far over the last year. Is this the first ever Spanish announce table spot? Ooh. Potentially. I hadn't thought of that. I think it might be. Because obviously there's diesel throwing... It was a deal throwing Brett, was it, into the actual announce table. And then was the Sean versus Mankind, was there something that was either through an announce table or just our table, I want to say. I think the Sean, the Sean Mankind one was through the um, was through the American announce table, through the English announce table. Mm. Yeah, so this might be the first ever Spanish, even though it didn't break, the first ever Spanish announce table bit. Because as we know, oh, Carlos Cabrera and Hugo Savinovich are going to be they're going to be whipping boys oh, for the next few really, years. they really, really are. Bless <laughs> them. Uh, back from break, Mankind is brandishing a chair, which he gets booted into his face for good measure. Uh, Taker goes for a tombstone, but Mankind turns it into the mandible claw. Taker then lifts up Mankind and drops him to counter it. So basically, he's got him locked in the mandible claw, and, uh, mm. and Undertaker looks like he's fading, but he somehow manages to lift mankind off the ground and sort of very awkwardly drops him into the corner like just deadlifts him and just dumps him really desperate yeah and on commentary they said oh well clearly he'd worked over mankind's fingers that he couldn't get the claw in properly so from a KVA point of view I'll allow this I will allow it (laughs) 
I will allow this as the judge, jury, and executioner, not that one, of all wrestling. Uh, he lands a tombstone moments later, and it's an awkward one because I think he picks him up and he spends quite a bit of time sort of getting him in position because there's a point where Mankind's head is very low to the ground, and then take has yeah. to do some mad reshuffling to bring him up so he doesn't have his own skull caved in, shoot style. Uh, Tombstone lands and Undertaker gets the three count as clean as you can in a no-holds-barred match. But there is no time Mm. to celebrate because here comes the executioner. He jumps the Undertaker and puts him in that fucking stupid neck grip, which is apparently his finisher. The weird, like, resting his hand on the neck move. Yeah, I went to to write... I was meant to write, Executioner runs in and locks the crap spike sleeper thing on Taker, but I accidentally wrote crab. So he locks the crab spike sleeper thing. Which I think is even funnier. But, I mean, uh, to be fair, I don't know how much of this was piped in, but there was loud boos as Raw went off the air with Undertaker getting crabbed out by the Executioner. Uh, I'd like to think that they were legit boos and people were invested in Terry Gordy, uh, but... I, I hope so. so. But the last yeah. shot we see is Undertaker just getting neck gripped to death. He just looks like he's woke. He, it looks like he's just having a very dribbly nap. <laughs> and Terry's holding him going, don't worry, don't worry. Just, 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 just ease off. Just ease, ease off. off. Ease, ease off. Ease off, you little cheeky devil. Ease <laughs> off. Uh, and that concludes Raw. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a mixed bag. Mm. Uh, I've put here that I, half decent. The first three matches weren't much to write home about, but the main event saved it. But again, like we've been saying for months now about Raw, storyline progression was focused, made sense. We got a good Bret Hart promo. We've got an angle for Billy versus Bart, which although I'm not really looking forward to, they're trying something with the lower card going in for next week. Uh, they still got, I think, is it another week or two before the pay-per-view as well? So in terms of building stuff, decent, but from an in-ring Apart from the main event, not great. No, I mean, yeah, I think it's all sort of... It's it's a weird one that December in every year in WWE's calendar always has this tendency just to, to, to flag just because it's the end of the yeah. year and everyone's winding down. And so there always just seems to be this weird lull. And it feels like post this in your house, we're going to be in quite the lull period until... We get sort of midway through January, and this feels like this is what the lull period is all about. Sort of trying out some mid-card stories and and, and sort of finishing off some storylines that have just ticked over. Like Mankind and Undertaker, I thought it was, it was a good, not great match. You know, not the best in their feud by a long shot, uh, but yeah. certainly one of them. Uh, I thought the handicap match was a bit crap. I thought the way you treated the IC champ was a bit crap. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the Goldust and Bart gun was there. Uh, and then Bret Hart said some words. That was raw, basically. But, I mean, I've been looking forward to this since I started on this pay-per-view. A pay-per-view on this podcast, sorry. I, I imagine you've been the same. We are weeks away in the timeline from 1997. Oh, we've made it. Oh, there's some good... There is some good stuff around the corner in 1997. There's going to be... There's still going to be a lot of shite, but the good is going to be very, very, very good. So keep the faith, brother. Keep the faith. (laughs) Any good that you want to plug, brother, brother? Uh, No. I'm starting a new big project, uh, one that has been asked for by fans on the channel for a long time. It's a new ranked project. Um, 
because I finished the big documentary style script just before Christmas that's been handed off so I spoke with Pachiti and said what about this and he went yep people have been wanting that for a while I want to do this so I'm going to start chunking that on soon and apart from that just same old same old keep reading cultaholic.com the Holding Give podcast every Wednesday on YouTube and all your podcasty places and Tom Campbell what about you my little ducky egg (laughs) (laughs) a little spag always be your little spaggy little ducky egg Um, so from now time you're listening to this you're going Mm. where is the Cultaholic Wrestling News Podcasts you filth well fret not my little ducky egg uh, for the Cultaholic Wrestling News Podcast now has its own independent podcast feed so you are getting regular wrestling news podcasts in wrestling news in 10 minute bursts on the Cultaholic Wrestling News Podcast feed search Cultaholic Wrestling News get subscribed it's there you're going to find loads of fun exclusive interviews on that channel as well we're speaking to indie star Vinny Pacifico on there this week we're having a chat with outgoing Impact Wrestling ring announcer Dave Penzer this week and you'll hear mm. that on the brand new Cultaholic Wrestling News podcast feed as well. So, as well as being subscribed to this one, where you will still find Classic Raw, Classic Smackdown, Classic Nitro, Desert Island Graps, the Full Fat Main podcast, you will also have on a separate news feed, on a separate feed, all your ten-minute Cultaholic Wrestling News podcasts every morning when you start your day. I believe you can even ask Alexa to play you the Cultaholic Wrestling News, and it'll play it to you as well. So that's nice, isn't it? I was genuinely surprised there because I knew this was coming because we spoke about this at the end of last year. <laughs> Speaking about the business side, it's like, how do we reach these how kids? How do I reach these um, kids? And I'd completely forgotten about it and didn't realise it was actually in motion. So that's nice. Uh, is the monthly news roundup, is that also going to be on the this new The monthly news roundup will be, I believe that will be on the new feed as well. Mm. Uh-huh. so you'll be able to find that there all news flavoured things will be there um, TBC but uh, mm. I will let you know and you'll f- <laughs> subscribe to I put you on the subscribe spot subscribe to yeah, both then you'll yeah. never miss it <laughs> that's that's the that's the magic ingredient right there just subscribe to both exactly. you bastards and I need to plug this as well holy baloney it is today the 15th of January one week from Saturday, we're at Box Park in Wembley for the Hooked on Wrestling Cultaholic Royal Rumble Watch Party. Myself, Fraser Porter, Sam Driver, your lovely son Luke is with us as well. Matthew Gregg's joining <laughs> us too. And the one and only WWE WCW legend, Fred Ottman, a.k.a. the Shockmaster, a.k.a. Tugboat Toot toot. He's going to be joining us as well for a very special Q&A. We've got loads of silly shenanigans planned uh, as we get hyped for the Rumble. And they're all going to watch the Rumble together on the uh, throughout the night, Saturday into Sunday morning at Box Park in Wembley. Buzzing. Buzzing. And if you're not going to be at Box Park, stay tuned to cultaholic.com because Aidan Gibbons will be recapping it and I'll be asleep. <laughs> that means something really big will happen because Jack Atkins will be asleep. Yes. Uh, also, just to let you know, let me have a look. Uh, I am off. I've got a week booked off at the end of April, and I've just booked off for a week, uh, like two weeks after that. So second week in May, last week in April, 
guarantee two massive things are going to happen in the rest of the world because I'm off. So. <laughs> very very kind of you for the heads up. <laughs> no worries. Until yeah. we're next back together, he is at Brat Atkins on Twitter. I'm at Tom Campbell on Twitter together. We're at Colt Harlick on Twitter. Don't forget to join us and a happy new year. Get yourself if I a special treat, a Hulk Hogan Thunder Mixer. Love you, bye. <laughs> Don't put your willy in. Definitely put your willy in it. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. For all the wrestling headlines in just 10 minutes, search Cultaholic Wrestling News on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. 